welcome to The Gateway Presents on CJSR FM 88.5 Edmonton. I'm Victoria Chu, online editor of The Gateway, the University of Alberta's official campus media source run by students for students. Every two weeks, we cover news, opinion, and arts and culture related topics that are pertinent to students and to campus. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's show is a special one. It's Fun Drive at CJSR, the station you're listening to right now, and we're raising money for the station. If you like what you're hearing and or want to support community and campus radio, call 780-492-2577, extension zero, to donate. There's swag like Friends of CJSR discount cards that give you dope deals like two-for-one admission at Metro Cinema, along with other deals at amazing local vendors around town, t-shirts, and sweet pennants. For certain donation levels and of course we'll love you forever so if you want to donate again that's 780-492-2577 extension zero our lovely volunteers are standing by to take your call and now we're gonna head on to the show today we're starting off with our arts and culture segment hosted by our arts and culture editor jonah dunch and we'll start that right after this short little musical interlude there on the airwaves and welcome to the arts and culture segment of the gateway presents i'm jonah dunch the arts and culture editor of the gateway and your host for the next 17 minutes or so hello everyone and my three guests today are kale Wynn, emily corcoran and christina newen three bfa acting students at the university of alberta they're here to talk about their new clown show coming up this weekend the misfit vault which runs seven at 7 30 on friday saturday and sunday this weekend christina kale and emily welcome thank you Thanks for having us. All right. Now, let's open by just talking a bit about what this clown show is all about. Um, What is the Misfit Vault and how did it come to be? Sure. So, um, 
Uh, every year in um, uh, the BFA, uh, the BFA is a, a three-year program, and so in your middle year, uh, you do a series of styles. Um, so you start usually uh, with clown, and so clown, uh, we do a clown class um, for nine weeks, and uh, we uh, learn all about what being a clown is is all about, and and then we uh, put on a show at the end of the unit. So that's kind of what's happening this weekend. Yeah, it's sort of the physical comedy aspect of theater that we work on in this unit here. Very cool, very cool. Um, and actually, I'll just get you to introduce yourselves on air for everyone who can't see you but can hear you. So let's go one by one, starting with Christina. So talk about, um, say who you are, and also introduce your clown for us, if you like. Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm Christina Nguyen. Um, I'm in the middle year, as I said, uh, and it's... Uh, it's my fourth year overall, because I'm taking five years, um, and my clown name is Tuna. Um, so kind of like Tina, but adapted into Tuna. <laughs> nice, nice. nice. <laughs> um, my name is Kale Wynn. I am also in the, uh, the middle year of the BFA here with my other two friends here. Uh, I'm also going into my fourth year of university here, and my clown's name is Mino. And uh, I'm Emily Corcoran. I'm actually, I came here from Newfoundland to come to this program, and my clown's name is Ducky. Alrighty. Um, now, guys, so clown is, is such an interesting thing, right? Because you're you're creating a character that has some elements of who you are, right? And is based, in your case, Christina, on your name. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also like a childlike character and something very different. So um, can you just give our listeners out in the airwaves um, a sense of what clown is all about and why it interests you in particular? Um, if you'd like to start. Sure. So clown, a uh, big thing about clown is just, it's just about uh, following your impulses. It's about following what, uh, what comes to you and how to act on it truthfully. Uh, so in class, we work on uh, doing a lot of impulse work, about feel, first uh, learning how to feel an impulse and where an impulse sort of comes from, sort of like down in your gut. And then just getting rid of any of the judgment in your head and just following them regardless of what the impulse is. And it's a, it's a tremendous experience of uh, how to sort of get out of your head in acting. We find a lot of the time that you're up in your head really thinking about what your lines are, what your blocking, blocking is and all that. But there comes a point when all that is just ingrained in your body and you can just live in the, uh, in the moment and in the, in the scene, in the turn that you're doing. And clown just, just sort of lets you, lets you do that. So you have the audience calling things at you and you're interacting with the audience and how to deal with different things that come up, like if a prop doesn't work and different things like that and how to instead of going into your actor brain and thinking okay well how do I get how do I figure this out you just give it to your clown and see what the see what the clown is going to do with it mm. and like um, like our professor Mike he always says that um, clown is the art of the unknown so uh, you kind of go into clown um, not really sure what's about to happen you have like a plan um, but you're able to go off it and uh, really yeah just following your impulses or, or what your body is telling you to do rather than um, thinking it all in your head it's kind of learning to do um, the thinking and and the body work it all in one yeah and we are really lucky to be taught this course by Michael Kennard um, he's famous in Canada for his clown work with Mump and Smoot and he's one of the reasons that I wanted to come to this program fantastic and to um, provide some context to our listeners so this uh, clown show the Misfit Vault was choreographed Choreographs not the right word. Um, directed. Stage directed. Yeah. yeah. Directed by um, Professor Mike Kennard, who's a professor in the Department of Drama at the University of Alberta, and as Emily said, a noted clown expert in Canada, which is very cool. Um, and actually, let's talk about that for a moment. So, what is it like working with someone who's such a you know a powerful force in the professional clown community? And this, you know, since it's a very a fairly niche form of performance. 
What even is the clown community? What's that? It's, um, Mike is amazing. Like, um, he, he's really hard on us, but in a good way, I think. Yeah, he's um, an excellent facilitator. Yeah, exactly. And he, um, because he has all this experience in um, clowning and, and he's done it for what, like he said, 20, 30 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so since he has all that experience, he's like great at, at recognizing um, where people are at physically and emotionally. And um, he really, like um, the, the word impulse, like what we were using before, um, your little like body ticks that that uh, indicate that you want to do something. He's really great at, like, um, picking those out and, and noticing them and helping you go further with them and helping you to realize what they are. Yeah, and he's he's quite skilled in uh, in wording things in a way that is... Uh, is constructive is not a it's not sort of like picking out the sort of uh, what is what needs to be fixed in your turns and in sort of your clowning itself but more sort of what the problems are and then gives you how to fix them and is he's wonderful with sort of walking through things with you he'll take any amount of time that you want we've had a number of classes that have gone uh, hours over uh, over yeah, class time nine, 12, 30. and he'll stick with us through thick and thin to whatever we want to work with just to like make sure that we get the uh, the education that we want and that we get out of this uh, out of this class everything that we possibly can. Yeah, he's a very very humble, very generous um, teacher, and I think we've been really fortunate to work with him and really lucky to to I, I think never feel dwarfed by his knowledge, and you, you really do feel like it's a collaboration in the room, which is so rewarding. Excellent! Wow, damn, I should have brought Mike on air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, 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 you guys. Um, so jumping off of that a bit, so we've talked a bit about how clown has been important in your education as actors in general. Um, so can you explain a bit just like what clown is in context of your whole education and what is the BFA acting program for those who are unfamiliar with it and how is it helping you further your careers in theater? Yeah, so um, as Tina said before, this is a, a three-year program, and so she's the middle year is our style year. So we ta- we tackle Shakespeare, we tackle classical, we tackle um, body uh, physical, physical driven comedy and theater, which is what we're doing in Clown right now. Um, yeah, and it's I mean the way it affects theater I think is endless. It's not only is it it teaching us new ways to move and to live in our bodies, but it's um, giving me skills that I never knew I needed. Well, it's an, it's an interesting exploration in, in taking things from it being on the page to something that is completely off the page of something that you create yourself, which uh, in, in this theater program we're working a lot on a lot of script work and a lot of like how to pull things out of the text and how to uh, be an ensemble in a, uh, in a show. But this really gives us those tools to sort of create our own work and to be able to really expand into uh, all numbers of, uh, of different sort of styles of theater. And then it also applies still to our, our script work in the way that you, you have this character that you're playing and through the impulse work that we're working with Mike, you sort of learn how to go into your head and be a little bit like, well, how would this character react to this? Like, what is the, what is the truthful way to react in this situation, which I find is so incredibly useful in and- this. And just even beside all of that, um, as one of our other, like one of our other professors said, um, clown is like really the time where you can just be crazy. Like you can just be over the top and, and, and do things that you're not 
able to do in um, normal theater or anything like that. And you can fail brilliantly. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. And that's been a big thing too, learning how to fail and learning how to be okay with that and, and, and get up and mm -hmm. keep going. Fantastic. Now, um, what would audience members who are, you know, let's say they've never heard of Clown, because let's face it, a lot of people have not heard of Clown, at least in this kind of form, right? Mm -hmm. um, where it's performance-driven and about your characters and, and solving weird tasks and stuff like that. So, oh, yeah, um, it's not birthday clowns. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> not birthday not, clown no birthday clowns, no scary clowns here. Just no, really no. fun, sweet, um, and childlike clowns. Um, so why don't we talk for a sec about, like... Um, what people should expect coming to your show and how would you sell your show to someone who doesn't have experience with clown before this? Sure. Uh, so first of all, I think it's important to um, uh, state that our show is, uh, we do two types of clowning. So the first half is is this clowning, like you talked about, this childlike clown. Um, it's really fun, uh, really energetic. And then the second half is um, a clown form called Buffon, which is a very highly political... Um, provocative. Provocative. Yeah, gritty. Um, for, gritty form, yeah, where um, actually, like... Um, the point is to get the audience to realize something about society that is kind of messed up. And so, um, and the way that they do that can be very provocative and, and sometimes even vulgar to get the point across. So it's, it's kind of two, two separate things in one night. Um, two totally yeah. different worlds. Yeah. Two entirely different worlds. You come in, we have the clown, uh, the clown turns themselves, which uh, this year in the clown show we have five, uh, five turns. All, uh, all duo clown turns with a, a joey and a goose. But the joey is the high status clown and the goose is the low status clown. And uh, with these two sort of clown types, these uh, this pairing, this partnership is thrown into a, a situation where we have things from underwater exploration to being trapped uh, in a prison to uh, just like a good old date night. Uh, all sorts of different uh, different scenarios for these clowns to be thrown into and it's just sort of seeing how in this clown world you react with these different things and things get a little bit over the top sometimes and get really absolutely crazy but it's all in all in good fun and the audience is free to interact with the the clowns in any way shouting things out and it's actually quite helpful for us because it gives us an opportunity to uh to just play to play to sort of figure yeah. out how to how do we deal with when an audience starts to get, get out of control how do you, how does the a goose sort of feed that and how does the joey sort of try and keep it down so that the turn can still Continue, and then in Buffon, it's a completely different uh, sort of style. It's a little bit more on the uh, the darker side of, of Very theater. Very dark, I would mm -hmm. say. And <laughs> the audience is uh, is handed out a bunch of a uh, bunch of buns, buns at the like bread buns, bread buns okay. at the start of the uh, okay, start cool. of the Buffon part. And you're more than welcome to just whip them at uh, any if you're if you're offended or or something they upset. say that you don't like, you can just <laughs> throw a bun at the clown. Okay. Yeah, exactly, and it's all all manner of things. We uh, we tackle uh, tackle ethnicity. Uh, we tackle sort of like the the bits in society, the things that we laugh at that really are quite dark and quite quite cruel. Uh, we talk about how to uh, toxic masculinity is talked about a bit, and just various various things. Yeah. Issues, yeah. It's sort um, of a way of. Um, getting a point across by showing you the opposite kind of we're exactly. showing you how the extreme how, yeah we're showing you the extreme version of these terrible things that happen in society mm -hmm. um to give you an image for it so that you can realize how gross it is 
Very cool. All right. So if you like fun clowns or edgy clowns, come check exactly. out the Misfit Vault this and, weekend. And if you don't like edgy clowns, just leave when the buns come out. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I think I'll wrap us up there, actually. Thank you so much for coming into the studio for a few minutes, guys. And best of luck being clowns, being human beings, and being actors. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. <laughs> Cheers. Gateway Presents' Arts and Culture segment, hosted by the Gateway's Arts and Culture editor, Jonah Dunge. You're listening to CJSR-FM 88.5 Edmonton. If you're just tuning in, it's Fun Drive at CJSR, the station you're listening to right now, and we're raising money to help keep the lights on here, as we always do every year, and your money goes towards training and just general fun stuff. If you like what you're hearing and or want to support community and campus radio, call 780-492-2577, extension zero, to donate. There's swag like Friends of CJSR discount cards that get you things like two-for-one admission at Metro Cinema, which is pretty sweet, along with other deals at amazing local vendors around town. And, of course, you'll also get our fervent love and undying gratitude. So if you want to donate, again, that's 780-492-2577, extension zero. Call in and make your day, and you'll also be entered in to win a $25 gift card to the local Omnivore, located down at 10933 120th Street Northwest. So thanks so much to the local Omnivore for that. Our show total right now is under our current show goal, and our show goal is $1,420. So help us reach that and help us reach the... Uh, the grand total that the whole station's trying to reach. Uh, right now, we're at $998,271.20. I have difficulty reading numbers, apparently. Anyway, call in, uh, donate, and right now, in the meantime, we have our news segment hosted by our news editor, Nathan Fung, which we'll get to right after this delightful musical interlude.
and welcome to The Gateway Presents. My name is Nathan Fung, and I'm the news editor of The Gateway. Um, today, I'm joined by Andrew Beeman and Shifra Ghanemseni, the chair as well as the executive director of the Council of Alberta University Students. Um, today, we'll be talking about Bill 19, um, the tuition framework review uh, legislation that was introduced this Monday. Um, so thanks for joining me today. Thank, Thank you, you for having yeah. us. Um, so to start off, I guess, um, just explain what CAUSE is and what do they do. Uh, so CAUSE uh, represents over 100,000 undergraduate students um, from across the five universities in Alberta. So that's the University of Alberta, University of Calgary, McCune University, Mount Royal University, and the University of Lethbridge. Um, we're a provincial advocacy organization, so we, we, we uh, advocate to provincial uh, stakeholders for post-secondary education, and we ensure that students are um, getting a good quality uh, education and, and university experience. Okay, and how many? Whoop. And how many students does Cause represent again? Uh, we represent over a hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. So um, Bill Nineteen. Let's start off with um, what happened this um, week. So on Monday it was tabled in the legislature, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that was the first time Cause learned about the details of what this legislation would do for um, tuition as well as other amendments to the Post Secondary Learning Act, which is like the the legislation that governs like universities in the province, right? Yeah. Um, so what are some of the things that the bill does? Um, so it does a couple. Uh, big things for students um, uh, along with some other stuff um, it does it, it caps tuition at CPI uh, so the institutions can't raise it above CPI CPI being um, consumer price index or inflation um, and it also uh, adds board representation or extra board members uh, for students uh, at uh, the Board of Governors level for uh, institutions that didn't have it so McEwen and Mount Royal being uh, those two that didn't have it previously out of cause um, it also um, kind of restructures, I guess it restructures how, um, uh, how universities are, are put into the act, but that one is a little bit more of a, a formal detail mm -hmm. and it's, it's something that's not as, as big. Um, so it really does a lot for students around affordability and accessibility and just student representation too. Yeah. Um, so for the universities that didn't have board representations, we're talking about like McEwen, like how many board representatives did that have? Uh, McEwen and Mount Royal had one uh, student representative before, um, and so now we have uh, McEwen and Mount Royal now have two board representatives. Um, it's it's the same, uh, now it matches U of A, uh, U of C, and University of Lethbridge, who had two yeah. full time. So U of A has three, and that's the board of governors representative, and that's yeah. the president, as well as the grad students um, yeah. association president. Yeah. Um, I believe the bill also touches on international students' tuition as well, right? Um, so yeah, so the bill doesn't uh, touch on it specifically. It's supposed to be coming out in regulation after. Um, so what that means okay. is that the, the minister is, or the Ministry of Advanced Education is going to put out regulation after uh, and say that international students' uh, tuition when they or international students when they're offered um, um, uh, uh, when they're offered admission um, and accepted, they will have to know how much they're going to be paying per year after that based on the standard length of a degree. Okay. Yeah, and this is a this is I think a really big deal, and it's an unprecedented move in a lot of ways for the entire country. So, in Canada, if you are an international student, you have to prove financial viability for your program before you come in to study. And I think that that sets apart the type of international student that can often afford um, to be accepted into a Canadian institution. But with these additional provincial regulations in Alberta, you are now offering these students who we have 
no idea what they've been through in order to prove that financial availability. Um, protections against seeing increases, which in the past, because there was no regulation throughout their entire degree, we've seen students have to cut their degree short, we've seen them have to return back home, um, we've seen them give up on completing their education in Canada because they're not able to afford the increases when they had previously planned to afford a certain amount of tuition and fees. Okay. And um, these increases happen because it's not regulated in Alberta, right? And so essentially institutions can raise it however they want. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. All right. Um, so now, with, if this legislation takes effect, what will happen is that in the very beginning, they'll be told the full cost of their degree? Yeah, yeah. So upon admission, um, they'll be told how much they'll be paying on the, uh, the average length of their degree. Um, so that means they'll know how much to budget for. Um, previously, like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. And we've seen it over the past four years during the tuition freeze. Um, uh, international student tuition has actually gone up substantially in, at most universities um, because they weren't affected by the tuition freeze. Okay. And so, like, they essentially they were paying the price for the lack of funds generated by the tuition freeze. I wouldn't necessarily say they're paying all of the price, but I, I would say that the, I think their tuition uh, reflected that um, in some parts. Okay. And then for, um, so why is it important to tie domestic student tuition to CPI? Um, it's important because it offers uh, domestic students um, uh, uh, predictability in their degree. Um, it also makes it affordable and accessible for, for students. Um, this is some, a huge win, and we saw this uh, removed from legislation over a decade ago. Although it wasn't necessarily tied to uh, inflation or CPI over a decade ago, there was uh, uh, some sort of cap or, or inflationary measure put into the bill that wouldn't allow it to rise above a certain uh, percentage. And so we're happy to see this come back in. And legislation, I think, is a lot harder to repeal or remove or work against um, versus a regulation. When previous, it wasn't a regulation, but it wasn't necessarily honored. There were many ways to work around it. And data shows, not just for Alberta, but for students across the country, that financial barriers continue to be the number one reason that people are hesitant or continue to struggle while they're enrolled in their education. Okay. I kind of want to go back to this because um, this is the one thing I've heard a lot um, coming up to this um, legislation announcement on Monday is that the tuition review or the legislation that was supposed to come out of it was supposed to put tuition back into um, legislation as opposed to regulation. And that that's, can be pretty confusing for people. And I was just wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So I think it, it comes down to um, legislation is law. And so it has to pass through a legislature um, before it becomes law. Uh, so what this does does is um, essentially if every if, if uh, tuition ever wants to if they want to ever remove tuition from uh, the PSLA the Post Secondary Learning Act, um, which is the law it's in, um, they'd have to create a public debate and have to go through the legislature, which really makes it uh, harder. And it also you know we can voice our concerns around that. When it's in a regulation, that means it stays within kind of like the cabinet or within the uh, within uh, amongst the ministers and the premier, um, and they can change that um, quite easily without having to bring it through the legislature. And so it's harder to uh, you know fight against that or advocate against that when if it ever happens so and just for everyone's awareness um, cause will be putting out sort of a comparative guide next week for people to compare the differences um, in a lot in a lot simpler language than the one that's currently being presented in the bill because we know that it's a bit confusing mm -hmm. differences across like from the old yeah way okay uh, yeah just comparing them and realizing what the changes mean um, if they were to pass for students Okay. Um, from what I understand, because the bill was just introduced, um, there's a lot of things that still need to be worked out in terms of details. Um, what are some of the big things that still need to be worked out? 
Um, so right now, uh, we're, we're happy with the bill and we think it's a big first step. Um, but one thing we would like to um, see is uh, mandatory non-instructional fees capped at consumer price index. Um, so that means instead of being in a regulation, it would be in the bill or in the law. Um, and that would ensure that mandatory non-instructional fees are not um, being, you know, artificially increased or increased to make up for uh, tuition capped at inflation. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then what's, what's really kind of interesting about that, and Andrew had alluded to it prior, so legislation is law. Legislation is a lot more difficult to repeal, while regulation, if we were to put it simply, is soft law. So it's more of a guideline than it is um, a, a hard and fast rule. Mm. And so m mandatory non-instructional fees and market modifiers also in the past have been a loophole for institutions to see where else they can try to um, balance their budgets or have a little bit more leeway with their um, financial revenue streams. And so while the regulation does empower students um, to have a more meaningful voice and, and um, ability to sort of consult on these matters, we know that you know, depending on what happens in a year, two years, three years, uh, there's a possibility that that might not be honored. And so if it if this is truly to be, you know, the best possible way to ensure and improve affordability and accessibility, we'd love to see anything that has to do with regulatory increase be moved into legislation. You'll see that the bill often refers to a regulation. So there are some parameters set in there, and then they'll say refer to the act and or the, um, the regulation, and we'd love to see some aspects of that regulation be moved into the legislation so people honor it and um, it's a long-term success for students. So having more things being put into a public process mm -hmm. instead of being behind closed doors. Yeah, essentially creating a public uh, public awareness and public debate over these types of things. Okay. Um, you mentioned student consultation. That's one thing that I want to that I found interesting about this bill as well. Um, because from my understanding, the bill does have like emergency mechanisms for like an emergency intuition increase, but I believe those mechanisms do require like student input. And um, we, uh, I believe that's yet to be de determined yet, right? But it may mean, like, say, um, the tuition increase that's proposed needs to be approved as well by, like, say, the student re a representative body. Um, is that sort of the case? Um, yeah, so what that kind of involves is it would look like um, uh, when the tuition, uh, tuition can increase for a specific program past CPI, um, but that's an except, it's called exceptional tuition increase. Um, and how this works is that the, the program that wants to increase their tuition past CPI uh, would have to then put together a joint kind of uh, submission with students, uh, so called consulting with students, and then submit it to the ministry. And it couldn't um, just increase because they want to, the tuition to increase higher. It has to be connected to uh, increasing the quality of education. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a couple stipulations that will be coming out in the regulation around what this looks like. Um, and so it will just increase student consultation around exceptional tuition increases and that allows institutions to increase the quality of education or programs to increase their quality of education, but not, you know, but making sure that they're not just raising fees for the sake of raising fees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a positive step at the end of the day. Um, we don't know the details surrounding what exactly that looks like, but I do think that cause especially is really encouraged by the fact that the underlying principles of these regulations really focus on transparency. They focus on student engagement and involvement. They focus on affordability. One thing about the exceptional increase too is while it has to be a joint submission, like Andrew had said, um, and definitely, you know, um, detail why 
an exceptional increase would improve the quality of education. There's a couple of um, stipulations that were mentioned also. One that they can't submit proposals more than once every five years. So these really have to be well thought out. They have to have student approval come in. Um, and also that no specific program can raise their tuition um, over 10% in a single year. So what that means, I mean, it's a little bit confusing, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, essentially, you can't see increases in one program be averaged out through no increases in other programs so that it's a little bit more equitable for any student okay. trying to access um, the program of their choice. Okay. And just really quickly, so this framework is set to kick in in the 2020 academic year, I believe, 2020 and 2021. But from the next year, from 2019 to 2020, right? Yep. That's There's going to be a continued, like, the final year of the, of the tuition freeze, right? Yep. Okay. Um, from now, I sort of want to go into, like, some of the... the more difficult questions. Um, so I believe this week the bill was going for a second reading in the legislature um, and it's seen some debate between like some UCP MLAs and some NDP MLAs. Um, I, reading through the Hansard, I was noticing some like interesting things being said by the UCP MLAs, especially that they made a big point about how universities also have to deal with the carbon tax. Um, what, do, what do you make of that? Um, I, we, so we've been paying attention closely to the debate on the bill too, um, and we, we've noticed that um, I think there's a quite a strong um, support from all parties in the legislature for the bill. Um, yes, I think there are critiques that could be worked that are in there, and we've I think highlighted some, but I think there's been a strong support for it overall. Um, on that matter, I couldn't speak directly to it at the moment, but I but I do believe that there's strong support on on the bill. Okay. And and our advocacy, I think, primarily focuses on making sure that our students' needs are communicated to the government, right? And whether those critiques are pointed at the administration or the government themselves, uh, I really do believe that that aspect needs to be addressed by the people responsible for that. It can't necessarily intervene with what we've been tasked to do by the students that we represent, and that's making sure that primarily their concerns are heard. Okay. Um, just for the record, that um, that comment about the um, carbon tax came from ML, uh, MLA Mike Ellis um, from Calgary West, who was saying that universities also have to like deal the burden of like carbon tax. So I believe the minister shot back by saying that like the, the universities as a whole support the carbon tax. Um, but the other thing I noticed, um, and this came from the UCP critic for um, advanced education, Wayne Anderson, is that he sort of said that the bill gives too much ministerial control um, to the Minister of Advanced Education in regards to like tuition and stuff like that. Um, is that a more valid concern, would you say? Um, and I think we touched on this briefly kind of around uh, mandatory non-instructional fees um, and exceptional tuition around the regulations that have to be in place. Like we said before, we wanted uh, we want to see uh, mandatory non-instructional fees at least have some sort of mechanism to control them in law. Um, so that way we don't have to always rely on, on regulation to do that. And so again, I think, I think that's a valid critique in the sense that we're concerned that not everything has been put into the bill but it's definitely a good first step and it's a huge win for students in Alberta. Okay, so when it's in ministerial control, that's a, a regulation, is that it or? Yes, the regulation um, specifically points to, the details of the regulation specifically point to ministerial control because if it is okay. in legislation, that is a matter for the entire body, um, the, the entire elected body to discuss. And so 
you know, again, we don't know the details, like Andrew had said. We're looking forward to learning more. We have an advocacy week coming up next week where I think we'll have the opportunity to discuss not only with members of cabinet, but um, members of the official opposition and critics for advanced education to um, really speak to what their concerns are in more detail and maybe provide some context of our own. I think it's difficult sometimes for us to insert ourselves in the conversation when that discussion is happening live and we're not able to provide some context and nuance to those responses. Okay. I'm um, going back to cause. Um, so you've already mentioned like some of the future like plans for um, in terms of communicating this change to students. But in terms of like um, the situation regarding tuition, um, does cause have any other plans in terms of like demands from government or under advocacy efforts? Um, so tuition kind of falls under a broader category and that's affordability and accessibility. So we have um, tuition is kind of one piece of that pie, I guess that's how I'd explain it. Um, another area that we are going to continue to advocate strongly for students is on student financial aid um, because again, tuition only affects the, co the direct cost of education, tuition fees, I guess, but student financial aid speaks more to um, kind of the overall cost of education. So that means food, shelter, textbooks. So we, we are going to continue on that front and continue okay. advocating hard. I do have one question, um, one final question, depending on the time. Um, so one of the things I've heard, um, like being talked about, discussed about Bill um, 19, Bill 19, right, is that um, while even if, the, like, this is being cited as a victory for student advocates um, by many, but some are a little pessimistic that uh, uh, even if it is a win, it would be undone once the NDP, should the NDP, like, fall out of power after the provincial election. Um, is that a case to be pessimistic? Um, I think it would be uh, a little premature to comment on that. I don't think um, I could validly make a, a speculative case either way. Um, I think for us, strong support by, uh, there's been relatively strong support by everyone within the legislature so far, um, especially we saw that in the last couple of days when it was in the Committee of the Whole. Um, which is the reading or the, the stage after the second reading. Um, so I think I don't think that's a, a concern. But I also said, like I said, I would be. I think it's it's a little bit too early to to comment on something like that. And yeah. as a principal, cause has for 30 years now remained nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. You know, they've existed through a variety of governments in power, a variety of different ministers, and our asks don't change because they really do reflect the needs of students, regardless of political stripe, regardless of who they're working with, and so we can to advocate for the things that we've been moving forward with. This is something that we're encouraged by and we hope that it stays no matter what the context is in, in a few months. And I think just because, and I think it, the reason why it has that strong support but from most parties or almost all parties in the legislature or all people in the legislature is because we really focus hard on evidence-based research and policy instead of um, something more tailored toward ideological ends too. So we make sure that we're advocating on behalf of all students. We understand that all students uh, don't have a certain leaning or it might have a certain leaning we want to make sure we aren't you know preferencing one mm -hmm. over another okay i believe that's all the time we had for the segment but so yeah thanks for giving the time and thanks for coming down to the studio of course Nathan. thanks for having us yes yeah. thank you
That was the Gateway Presents' news segment hosted by Gateway News Editor Nathan Fung. You're listening to CJSR-FM 88.5 Edmonton. If you're just tuning in, it's Fun Drive at CJSR, the station you're listening to right now, and we're raising money to keep the lights on, as we do every single year. If you like what you're hearing and you maybe just want to support Community Campus Radio and keep this thing going as it's awesome and we just want it to keep going in perpetuity, call 780-492-2577, extension zero, to donate. There's swag like Friends of CJSR discount cards that get you awesome deals like two-for-one admission at Metro Cinema, along with other deals at other amazing vendors around town. And, of course, we will love you until the day you die. So if you want to donate, again, that's 780-492-2577, extension zero. Call in and support all the sweet content at the station. And anyone who calls in will also be entered in to win a $25 gift card to the local omnivore located down at 109-33-120 Street Northwest. So that is amazing. Thanks so much to the local omnivore for that. And now, sit back and enjoy our opinion segment, hosted by our opinion editor, Andrew McWinney, after this little musical interlude. Welcome to uh, Gateway Presents. My name is Andrew McQuinney. I'm the uh, opinion editor for the Gateway here, the c- campus uh, media source here at the U of A. I'm joined by uh, two fellow UA students here, if you guys want to uh, introduce yourselves today. Um, I'm Annie. I'm a third year English and women and gender studies student at the U of A. My name is Kyle Amanda. I'm a fifth year student with a major in art and design and a minor in English. Excellent. Thank you guys for being on the program. So today, we're going to have a discussion about the future of the university, specifically uh, in the context of the 2019 upcoming election. Uh, given that there's a very real chance, I think a lot of us have seen, that the uh, United Conservatives have a pretty good chance of upsetting the NDP, maybe undoing some uh, changes that they've made, um, what will the university environment look like for students in either scenario? What are some goods and some bads that come out of it? Um, so I don't know, starting with a few things that the UCP has done for their post-secondary, um, in a lot of their policy book, which is something they just updated this summer, a couple of their platform points included uh, making student union fees optional for students across all Alberta post-secondaries, uh, introducing a mandatory freedom of speech policy for each university as well, similar to what they've done in Ontario quite recently, uh, advocating for the use of open educational resources, and also the phrase uh, aligning funding to anticipated skills demand, which I think there's a lot to unpack there. But yeah, what do you guys think of some of those uh, platform points? Um, I would say the main one I have concern with is the optional students union membership fees, just because I'm not sure how implementable it is with the vital services that the students union delivers. Um, I'm not sure that 
the UCP is a full understanding of the range of services that are provided by the SU on campus here, such as the Peer Support Center, um, the Health and Dental Plan, the UPASS. There's a lot of services that um, I think people either don't know are provided by the SU versus the university. Um, and because of that, I'm also not sure how students who choose to opt out of the SU fee would be removed from those services. So if you choose to opt out, would you then not be able to access the peer support center? Would you not even be able to enter the Students' Union building? Um, it's not really clear how this policy would be implemented, and I think we need to see more information on how this policy would come into effect before the election if we are going to get clarity on like what a UCP government would be like here on campus. Yeah. All right. Another big concern I've had, I mean, besides, like, again, it's a very big, very vague kind of point. And again, we wouldn't know what kind of um, implementations there would be for a kind of policy like that. The biggest thing that I've been concerned about personally, um, and I've written about as well, is this concern of union busting by the UCP. Um, the SU has been very integral to a lot of uh, protests that have been going on recently on campus about raising of international student tuition, domestic student tuition, stuff like residence rates and the meal plan as well. And... Uh, yeah, yeah, they've been incredibly um, important in making sure that a lot of that work gets heard by the government there. So with a cut in funding, beyond just a cut to simple, uh, not just simple, but very important and very vital services on campus, we could lose a very important voice in having students and being able to relay with the uh, provincial government as well. So I think that's definitely something that I would be certainly concerned about beyond just the um, losing of uh, services as well. So. I think the next big thing I want to tackle, uh, this freedom of speech policy, um, that caused the similar uh, situation in Ontario, caused lots of outcry. There's been lots of takes left and right all across the table about what it really means to mandate free speech policies and what that kind of would entail. Um, following the Ontario model, I think, if the UCP were to do so, would kind of just look like they would base it off of a single kind of document that outlines what kind of free speech is and allow universities to fill in certain blanks just based on their campus. So. Do you guys think the University of Alberta needs a mandated, or like any university in Alberta needs like a mandated free speech policy at all? I think it's a very tricky situation because what counts as free speech, um, it differs a lot in a lot of people's heads and what they believe to be common sense is not necessarily common sense. Um, so while I think a free speech policy is useful because it does outline like what can um, be said, it also, um, it's very, I feel like the big problem is it's very, um, it's very broad and it's, there's a lot that you would want to cover and discuss um, and I wonder if this can or cannot be done with one document and I feel like um, it most definitely cannot, which is where I get nervous about this um, proposal that they're making. To be honest, I don't really think, um, as we are now, that free speech is really a thing that people f on campus feel is suppressed on campus. I think this is more um, an issue that is kind of generated outside of campus as a crisis, even though I don't know anyone personally on campus who feels that their freedom of speech has been suppressed. I also think that, at least at University of Alberta, we already have very comprehensive policies in place to maintain free speech. 
um, in that, for example, in the student code of behavior, um, the very first section of it actually, the first paragraph of the introduction um, states that there is freedom to teach, freedom to engage in research, freedom to create, et cetera, et cetera, and it lists off a whole bunch of freedoms that are essential to the university. Um, and actually, um, even the right-wing um, Campus Freedom Index gives us an A for our free speech policies. So I don't really think it's an issue that needs to be legislated because we're already doing it. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think there's really been any precedent, like personally, on the U of A campus for a lot of those things. I've never personally heard anybody complain about it when free speech is brought up, that things are being repressed specifically on the U of A campus. Um, yeah, I feel personally that a lot of it, it seems to be kind of like a fear that there are some kind of voices being pushed back against and there just kind of is a fear of like making sure that they want to keep those voices strong, right? Um, and I mean, as long as we have, I think, other policies in place, of you, as you've put a uh, shown us here and you've also you also are able to kind of engage academically and have feel free to be kind of engaging kind of work like that in the classroom and on campus respectfully and treating others with respect i don't really think free speech is at risk and i don't think it ever really has been at least like not in the current climate either so i kind of want to wrap up last kind of quick discussion here um what the UCP means by aligning funding to anticipated skills demand. Um, they don't really outline what those kind of skills are, um, but essentially what I'm understanding that would mean is like whatever they decide or the important skills that uh, post-secondary students should have, that's where a lot of the money is going to be allocated towards. Um, so what do you think those are the kind of skills that uh, the UCP values and what kind of like funding changes can we see possibly in the future? Um, I know one big thing that we were talking about um, before we went on air was um, probably STEM fields, um, which is extremely beneficial and we do, um, like it can be really useful if there's lots of money going to things like medicine and stuff, but um, it is detrimental because then we see other faculties um, and other things that students are very passionate about pushed to the side because the government doesn't see them as particularly useful, um, which I think is really detrimental just to our society. <laughs> if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, the way that funding um, works right now for um, the grant, the Campus Alberta grant that um, the university gets most of its funding from is that it's not allocated to any particular program. It's just a, a block of money that the university gets and can allocate as it see fit and I would worry that if the government starts to section off more um, funding to specific programs that, that would actually be an, an infringement on the academic freedom of the university um, just because right now the General Faculties Council and the Board of Governors of the university are the ones who do have control over um, the programs that we offer um, and if the government decided to step in and start having more of an active role in that area I think there would be a lot of pushback from the institution because that is something that they find important. Mm. Absolutely yeah and I mean anticipated skills demand it could just depend on like again that's still a very nebulous we don't know exactly what the demand STEM could be one example engineering could be another depending on what the kind of economic goals of the UCP are where they want to kind of be like pushing more money um, into the oil sands and revamping kind of the, ec the economic uh, benefits of the oil sands for example um, which is something I still think that the NDP is still very focused on I mean advocating for getting pipelines through and a lot of that similar debate has been going on and has been pushed for uh, by not least government for the same amount of time as the UCP so 
I don't know. It's kind of tough to see exactly what will change, um, but it'd be good to, yeah, it's always good to speculate. Uh, do you guys have any kind of, like, final comments, any kind of final thoughts on kind of what a UCP, <laughs> the U of A under the UCP would kind of look like? Um, related to the last issue, I would say that um, the their most recent um, capital money that the university got from the provincial government, the existing NDP provincial government, and the federal government all went to 10 different projects for sciences and engineering. So I think e even though that's not specifically program delivery, they're kind of voicing their preference for science and engineering programming through the capital money that they're giving the university. So I think in a way we're already seeing a funding push towards science and engineering, so I'm not sure that that would be a major change in under the UCP. I would agree with Kyle. I think it's quite clear from what's happened um, in both the past and the present, um, and it's definitely, definitely enabling us to predict what is going to happen or might very possibly happen in the future. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for uh, joining me on this uh, fun drive edition of The Gateway Presents. My name is Andrew McQuinney. I'm the opinion editor here at The Gateway, the uh, U of A's official student media source. Joining me today was uh, Kyle Monda and Andy Wellman. Thank you guys so much for coming in and discussing the uh, future of the U of A campus under either government. Thank you. opinion segment hosted by our opinion editor Andrew McWinnie and that's all our time this week for this episode of the Gateway Presents we'll see you again in another two weeks but not live uh, I'm Victoria Chu online editor of the Gateway at the University of Alberta and you're listening to the Gateway Presents on CJSF uh, CJSRFM 88.5 Edmonton our music is by Disparition and can be found at disparition.info thank you so much for listening and finally, if you're just joining us now, a reminder that it's Fun Drive at CJSR, the station you're listening to right now, and we're raising money for the station. If you like what you're hearing and you want to support community and campus radio, call 780-492-2577, extension zero to donate. There's sweet swag and other deals at amazing vendors and t-shirts and all these kinds of things that you can win. 
if you enter certain donation levels and of course we'll love you forever so if you want to donate again that's 780-492-2577 extension zero our lovely volunteers are standing by take your call and now we're really quickly going to do a quick draw for the $25 gift card that we uh, have here for the up for grabs at uh, the local omnivore located at 109-33-120 street northwest everyone who called in was entered in to win so the winner now is Mario Gigari. 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 Thank you so much. Congrats. And you can pick this up at the station. Um, also, there's a new grand total at the station of over $100,000 for the first time. Yay! Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Call and donate. As you know, we're currently at $100,000, but 